it's fairly clear that Matthew 24 is dealing with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. By the time we get to the end of Matthew 25, in verses 31 through 46, it's fairly clear that we're dealing with the end times judgment. All nations are gathered before him, and he sends some into eternal punishment and others into eternal life. What's not clear is when that shift from local to universal judgment happens. The parables of the ten virgins and of the talents can be seen in either context. But that just might be the intent. Jesus can take the lessons from Jerusalem's imminent and unexpected judgment and is able to apply at a much broader level for a broader audience. Just as the disciples in those days needed to be prepared for the day of God's judgment on Israel, we need to be watching for God's return to judge all of mankind. The parables, then, are the stories that help us learn from Jerusalem's judgment so that we can avoid the same fate. The first parable we have is of ten young women, and they're waiting to greet the groom for a wedding. We don't know much about Jewish wedding customs of this day, just that these ten were supposed to escort the groom into the wedding feast with their burning lamps. But the groom is delayed, and for reasons not given. All the women fall asleep, and all of them are woken by the announcement to meet the groom. But only five of them had any oil left in their lamps. The women without oil now have to go out and buy some before rejoining the party. But by the time they make it back, the door is shut, and the groom says to them, I don't know you. The parable emphasizes the sudden and unexpected nature of God's judgment. They all knew that the groom was coming, but growing tired, they all fell asleep. Here we are, 2,000 years after the life of Jesus, and expectations about his return have largely faded into the background of daily living. But the groom does arrive, and when he does, we need to ensure that we've been ready for him. The foolish women ask to borrow oil from the ones who were prepared, but are told in verse 9, no, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. It's not going to be possible for us to get ready at the last moment. Discipleship is a long-term commitment that prioritizes being ready at every waking moment. We are the spiritual doomsday preppers who are ready for whenever Jesus returns. It concerns me how often we hear that as long as you confess Jesus on your deathbed, even with your dying breath, then you're automatically saved. That can be presented in a way that encourages people to live like the foolish women, to not be prepared, and to hope to be saved in a, some sort of last-minute scramble. If we hope to be ready when Jesus returns, we need to start getting ready right now, not counting on the fact that we might have a chance to confess him later. Just as the girls were unable to share their oil, spiritual preparedness is not something that others can provide for you or that you can grasp at the last moment. Later, we have the parable of the talents. A talent is not your ability or skill to do something, it's a monetary amount. One talent was equated to about 6,000 silver denarii, between 16 or 19 years of wages. To put it into a modern perspective, if minimum wage is average across all 50 states $11, one talent is at least $343,000. A master entrusts three of his servants with these different amounts. One is given five talents, another three, and the third only one talent, each according to his own ability. The servants who were given five and three talents, they get to work in investing, and each of them double that initial investment. But the one with only a single talent simply buries it in the ground for safekeeping. And when the master returns, 
He's equally pleased with the five and the three talent servants, saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. But the servant who did nothing is condemned as wicked and lazy. His talent is taken away and he's thrown into the darkness. It's another parable on being ready for God and working for him while we wait. Because you have an ability, God has given you a responsibility. And even the smallest one is a massive responsibility. While we wait, he expects us to steward that responsibility well. It's a parable that confronts the common misunderstanding of what faith alone means. People love to quote Paul on being justified by faith, and that the only way to stand justified before God is by being loyal to Jesus. But we need to ask what that loyalty to Jesus looks like. Here we have a parable about God judging people based on what they did with what God gave them. The third servant failed because he chose to do nothing while his master was away. And he did so out of fear. He views the master as a harsh man who expects his investments to grow. The servant was so afraid of this risk that he sat on it. But serving God is about more than not doing bad things. It's about going out and doing good things. We're not just to hunker down to try and survive in this world till Jesus comes. We're to go out and work in it. The parables of the ten virgins and the talents each say that the kingdom is like this. In verse 31, we don't find that comparative language. It's simply a straightforward account of what will happen when all nations are gathered before Jesus. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, so Jesus will separate the faithful from the wicked. And the dividing line is found in verses 35 and 36. Jesus says to those entering into eternal life that I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Jesus says in verse 40, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus presents the last day as a judgment of our works. Did we or did we not love Jesus and our neighbor? We can claim that our hearts are passionate for him that our faith is consistent with scripture, and that we've mentally assented to the fact that Jesus is. But without a life lived in demonstrating those ideas, we're like the foolish women who ran out of oil and have no light. We are the lazy servant who feared God but did nothing for him. We prepare for Jesus by treating our brothers like him, with love, with mercy, and with kindness. Jesus may or may not return in our lifetime, But a day of judgment still waits for us. Are you prepared?